You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, One Step Off the Grid and The Driven, all three of which went down about half an hour ago, but they're now thankfully back up and running. And joining me is Nigel Morris, who was digging through his ancestry and also had his website go down. What's going on, Nigel? <laughs> well, that's a really good question, Giles. I think there's been a fairly major attack, a DDoS attack, as they call it. According to the uh, according to the live DDoS uh, tracker that I was just looking at before, so there's clearly some shenanigans going on, and people's websites falling over left, right, and centre. And you know, here's me trying to look up the history of my 182 year old clock that I just inherited from my dad. And damn me, if Ancestry.com didn't fall over right in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> that time stops for no one except for ancestry.com or something. Exactly. Um, God. exactly. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't have time to, repair, to, to rehearse that joke, so it kind of fell flat, but anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um, I went down and visited my mum, actually, and she's got a clock around about the same age. I was going to have to boast oh, really? I think it's a bit older, old grandfather clock. But I sleep in the room just outside the, or just in front of the clock, and she does actually sort of turn it off for me, um, stops the chimes. Otherwise, they just go banging all night, and it's pretty noisy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he looks very upset, actually, and he's very happy to see me go because then she can um, switch him back on again. So um, beautiful <laughs> old things, though. They are beautiful. It's, uh, you know, it's a funny old world that I live in where, you know, I'm surrounded by all this super-duper modern technology and, you know, the future, the future, the future. And then, you know, when I look at my Beardemeyer Vienna regulator made in uh, 1840 that was has hand-cut gears, you know, some guy in Vienna got bits of brass and hand-cut them and made them into one of the most amazing timepieces. And uh, I live in this pseudo world between, you know, the wonderful old stuff that just lasts for 180 years and the modern technology that uh, we all love that's changing the world around us. So it's a funny old world. It's a funny old world. And look, um, Nigel, it's a bit of a sad old world too because um, we had um, a bit upset today to find out that Anova Energy, the uh, local community-owned retailer up here in the Northern Rivers, which had started to expand into southeast Queensland and Sydney, um, had to call in the voluntary administrators on Tuesday, another victim of this fossil fueled chaos in the energy markets. Um, look, a couple of things I want to say about this. Um, one, um, Anova was the first community-owned energy retailer in Australia. It was a fantastic project um, led by some wonderful people, um, um, including particularly um, the lady Alison Crook, the founding chairwoman, um, and you'll hear us talking to her on the Energy Insiders podcast this week. Um, making some sort of rather acute observations about the lack of competition or the difficulties in providing competition in the Australian energy market. And it's really quite sad. This um, 
this uh, it, look it was really community um, community um, focused um, retailer very much focused on encouraging rooftop solar I think it was one of the first to sort of um, sort of support the idea of solar gardens it had a certain amount of its um, money that it earned went to local community projects uh, it gave big discounts to people in need uh, it gave a good tariff for solar but in the end um, just this bastardization, this bastard um, fossil fueled um, energy crisis that we've got, thanks thanks to coal and gas, and basically it's just pushed the price of electricity, wholesale prices of electricity, up so high that no matter how much you hedged, um, you're pretty much a goner. And uh, you know, we saw that with Energy Australia. Um, part of the problems were of this crisis, apart from the soaring price of coal and gas was the fact that a lot of these coal plants just fell over and broke. And um, so I, it's a bit ironic that people like Energy Australia got hit with like a $1 billion write down because um, they didn't have any coal to put in their borders and generate money and deliver on their customers. So they had to go and buy it on market. And so if it causes them a billion dollar write down, you can imagine what it's going to do to um, the likes of Anova. And it's all rather sad, Nigel. It is. It is sad. It's it's far from the gas led recovery that we were promised, and uh, it's far from the reliable coal fired power that uh, our Luddite friends um, have promised us either. And it's it's. I mean, it's really a bit of a bloody bloodbath out there, isn't it? And um, it's it's. No, you. I was just going to say it's a. Oh, what did he call it? I think he called it a bin fire, but I actually think it's a shit, shit, um, shit something, a shit sandwich. That's what it is. It's a shit sandwich. <laughs> it's a shit sandwich. You're right. The, the the only upside of all of this that I can see, and and you know, it's a it's it's like having to wait for a certain number of accidents on a corner before they'll fix a horrendous, you know, corner. Um, uh, that's a classic bin fire scenario as well, and and uh, I have to say the only upside of this is that it has brought the whole issue to a head, and you know it it is painfully, patently obvious what is going on out there now. It is patently obvious that you know sending massive amounts of our profit offshore doesn't uh, serve Australian energy consumers well, let alone encourage innovation uh, for great companies like Inova. So, yeah, bin fire. I think I'm, I'm going with the uh, the energy bin fire. Yeah, well, look, you know, um, I'm not too sure. I mean, sure, it's brought everyone's attention to some of the issues. Um, basically, this gas-led um, recovery has just been a gas-led disaster. Um, Australia's dependence on fossil fuels um, has never been so cruelly exposed. Um, you know, you talk about requiring some accidents. You look at maybe it was a few dings in the sides of things that'll be fine, but you know, having sort of innocent victims like Inova is is pretty tra tragic. Um, I am hopeful that we can actually sort of move forward from here but i get a little bit dismayed when in the midst of this crisis you see the energy security board come up with such a sort of a, a dumbass um proposal as the capacity mechanism to sort of basically pay money for coal and gas plants to hang around a bit longer they say that that's not what it's designed for but basically everyone in the market by a very small handful of coal generators think it's a really bad idea a really dumb idea really not necessary 
um, there's smarter ways of going about this. Um, so, look, I'm really hopeful that um, that we can move forward, but um, I does despair from time to time. Yeah, well, I have to, and I have to say, you know, um, you know, since we recorded our last episode, and I'm sure you'll cover this on Energy Insiders, but you know, even my wife nearly fell off her chair when I explained to her that the energy market stopped. <laughs> she said what does that mean i said that's pretty big that's never happened before the energy market market has never actually had to been taken over before uh by the regulators because it's so screwed up and that happened in, in between our last episode and this episode so you know it doesn't get any more profound than that so i'm hopeful that such such a horrendous stinky bin fire is actually going to stimulate some urgent change i'm with you they're gonna it's it's going to be messy in the meantime and they've got to do some near term you know uh, uh they've got to take some near term action to try and get things back on track and just make sure that everyone's got enough power to run the heaters that are all churning away upstairs here on a cold winter's night um but um yeah, I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful, but uh, well, there's a lot of work to do to re-engineer the whole thing. Um, but um, yeah, well, the that's good news right. is it's not, just, it's not just you and I yelling about it now, Giles. It's yep. every consumer in Australia and a whole bunch of uh, small retailers who've had to, you know, completely well, re-engineer their businesses. Yeah, well, that's it. And uh, look, it's going to be interesting to see how many small retailers actually do emerge from this um, unscathed. Um, we'll just have to see. I'm not too sure how much hedging you could possibly do to sort of protect yourself against um, something like this when the, sort of the prices are sitting at around about $300 a megawatt hour and just basically not moving. Unless, ironically, um, there's more solar in the grid, um, particularly through the through the day. So, I mean, basically, the only respite from the high prices has been rooftop solar and large-scale solar in various states during the daytime, and those states which have got a large amount of wind generation, which can sort of help um, sort of reduce prices um, sometimes during the day, but mostly at night. And um, those ones that don't have much, much renewables, and particularly Queensland, but also New South Wales, um, have suffered the most. It's true. It's true. And let me blow your mind because, you know, uh, the bin fire isn't over yet. Um, uh, you know, there, there's there's ugly, ugly bin fire burning crud falling out of the side of this very bin fire and starting other little fires around us. Let me blow your mind. I had a call from my old friend Roland Lawrence today, Sydney-based solar energy retailer, good guy, doing great things. And he said, Nige... I used your plan optimizer and I switched plans because you told me to. Thought I was going to save a fortune, changed to a new provider, got the first bill the other day and get this. He got his feed-in tariff, quite a generous feed-in tariff of 14 cents a kilowatt hour for the first 300 kilowatt hours. But when he looked at his bill, he went, hang on, they've charged me for excess exports. They charged him 14 cents a kilowatt hour for excess solar exports and basically subtracted that the equivalent of about 10 percent of his export fit which most solar owners would be very familiar with they slugged him with an export tariff it was basically the solar export tax that we've been sort of talking about theoretically coming well there is a retailer right now 
charging people for excess solar exports at the same rate at 14 cents a kilowatt hour as they will pay for solar energy exports. We all stood back today and went, have we landed in Alice in Wonderland? What is going on? WTF in capital letters. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Um, that's extraordinary. Um, how do you Neither stop exing, how do you stop ex, excess solar things? Do you just sort of switch on everything to sort of soak up the the solar thing? How do you do that if you're not working at home? Um, do you, is it trying to change behaviour by putting in a battery? Um, is that a, within the rules? One wonders. Is it within um, the rules? <laughs> is it within the rules to charge someone? at such an extortionate rate, for goodness sake. Because, you know, what's happening is that energy is going out into the grid and someone's grabbing it and selling it to the guy next door at an extortionate rate right now. So, you know, it's not actually costing 14 cents to send that out there. It's just, yeah, it's Alice in Wonderland. That's pretty Blew weird. Our collective I, minds. I would like to find out more about that. And um, look, I think we will. Um, I'm I'll my, send you a I'm copy gonna, of the bill. I'm going to put my best reporter onto it, and um, okay. we'll report back. Um, we'll report back um, sometime soon. Um, what else has been happening? Look, that's actually pretty outrageous. <laughs> so I've got to say, um, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> look, speechless, a, both of us, speechless, yeah. just cackling, just yeah. Mate, um, but the um, I mean, there must be a lot, lot more inquiries there to put in rooftop solar. Um, we've had a few stories about energy storage. There's some funny things going on with the energy storage schemes. I mean, we reported last time about South Australia closing down its sort of um home battery scheme and um and um kicking out the um the old folk and the the, the, the pensioners and not giving them access anymore with their sort of um um with, with that scheme. And now South Solar Victoria is going to end its battery in storage. Um, uh, subsidy in a couple of months, um, which is all a bit confusing, really. So I'm not too sure what's going on there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, that, that, that strange, weird Alice in Wonderland world that we live in yet again, you know, because Solar Victoria reported that, um, you know, the uh, inquiry rates for solar are 50% higher than the yearly average. So, you know, clearly, and we're hearing that all over the place. Uh, in fact, Roland was saying the same thing. He's basically had the same number of inquiries already this month uh you know sort of halfway through the month as he had it last month so you know he was a good example of a, a solar retailer in new south wales solar victoria reporting 50 percent growth as well and and they also mentioned that you know to their credit they've paid out 5842 or, or approved 5842 battery rebate rebate applications this year uh, and it's closing soon so you know these programs are, are are working you know we had huge numbers uh, you know nearly 20,000 uh, battery rebates paid in in South Australia under their rebate program here we are with you know 6,000 in Victoria they're ramping their programs up they're tweak everyone's fine tuning so yeah you know uh, consumers are are grappling to find solutions uh, whilst at the same time all the rules of the 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 game are changing all around them whether it be energy prices or rebates that are available or anything else so you know i guess it's uh you know one way of looking at it is uh, everything's quite normal in its chaos yeah that's right hey nigel let's just take a short break Clenergy is an australian founded enterprise providing innovative high quality solar solutions to the world 
Clenergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high-quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products and solutions for residential, commercial and utility-scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application. And of course, we'd like to thank um, all our sponsors who are generously supporting this podcast, uh, SunWiz, Solar Analytics and Clenergy. Um, all been around for several years and um, very appreciative of your support. Nigel, um, the one flip side of these um, wholesale energy prices that we've had a bit of a... Um, um, a bit of an improvement in solar feed-in tariffs. Uh, New South Wales, I think, is actually sort of doubling it. So, I mean, it's just a guideline, basically. People can just basically offer what they want, and some people go over and some people go under. And as you say, someone do this reverse pike. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I need to investigate. But anyway, um, up to about 10 cents. So, that, look, that's sort of interesting. I mean, it's probably um, not that much relief for people, but at least it's um, at least it's something out there. Um, so for all those people sort of shifting over to solar, um, Alice Springs, I think, was one of the last holdouts of the premium solar tariff. They went down from 23 cents, I think, to 9 cents. Or oh, maybe that happens on sort of July the 1st. But interesting there, they're talking about... Um, Having one of the biggest sort of pilots of uh, virtual, well, not pilots, we have so many pilots in virtual power plants, but one of the biggest sort of uh, virtual power plants, at least in a small grid in Alice Springs, which is good to see because um, that's a small community with a very small grid and a lot of solar. So um, that's interesting. Um, what else is happening around the place? Um, well, interestingly, I, uh, if I flip over to Great Solar Business, I had a great chat last week with um, a, a young lass, only 21 year old, 21 years old, who um, jumped into solar. And so for Great Solar Business, I, I, I asked a question, is solar a good career choice? Which, given everything that's going on at the moment, I think is a really interesting question. Had a wonderful chat with young Thornton. Um, so if you missed last week's episode, do tune in and have a listen to that. And then, you know, on the flip side, I guess with everything that's going on next week, uh, I've got a great interview lined up, uh, with, uh, an expert in PR and marketing and, and, you know, how to build your PR story, how to build your marketing story, uh, to take advantage of, you know, various opportunities. And, you know, we've talked, uh, last week, I think I had a, a little bit of a rant, a little bit of a spit about how to do marketing badly and how much bad marketing there is out there. And I continue to report solar companies every single day for, you know, misleading and deceptive advertising, which is just, there's no need for it. We've got a great story. So tune in next week and we'll hear how to do that well on Great Solar Business. Good stuff. And look, there's um, something in here. Um, I've just found your notes, actually. Your, the Google document has finally come through to me, uh, Nigel, so I can open it now and find out what we're supposed to be talking about today. Um, <laughs> I think we've actually been... <laughs> we've actually freewheeled right through it, so we must have been of a single mind, of a single mind. We're doing quite um, well. We're doing quite well uh, for two old blokes um, who haven't been practising rehearsing nearly enough. Um, there's been a fire in Queensland, a solar fire, and several, in fact. Yeah, a few, a few weeks ago, and good news and bad news here, there was a, a Sunshine Coast woman uh, who um, was at the beach with her husband when her teenage daughter called to report that there was smoke pouring out of their solar energy system. And 
uh, interestingly, the article sort of said, oh, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. And it wasn't until their older son called and said, no, there really is a fire. Should I call the fireies, was his quote. And they said, oh, we'll pop home from the beach. And sure enough, the system was on fire. Uh, turns out that uh, all the heavy rain um, around the Sunshine Coast had done that typical thing of going, there was a top entry to the one of the isolators. The top entry performed a really nice um, downpipe and poured water into the isolator and caused a fire. Uh, the, the kids had done a great job, by the way. They'd turned off the AC isolator. They'd turned off the DC isolator. But, of course, the system was still arcing. So... Um, it didn't stop the fire and the fireys did have to come. And luckily, I, I believe um, everything was okay and the house wasn't burnt down. The electrical safety office said there were uh, 50 fires reported in 2020, 79. So an increase of, you know, uh, quite a proportion, about 30, 40% in 2021 and 22 fires so far in 2022. Um hopefully that's an indication of, of a good trend. Um, you know, we're only halfway through the year almost and, um, you know, numbers have gone down compared to last year. So hopefully that's an indication that things are heading in the right way. Does, uh, you know, it is a salient reminder for all owners of PV to, um, you know, to get a little bit of maintenance done, to um, particularly pay special attention when there's been a lot of rain um, and, um, you know, make sure that these things are maintained a little bit. And, um, you know, if the kids ring and say, should there be smoke coming out of the solar system, duck home. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, one other little solar um, story that we should um, actually just um, acknowledge was the... Um, uh, 5B, um, who are very promising, very innovative, and um, they announced a sort of a capital raising uh, earlier this month, but um, which was good. But um, they also um, announced a bit of a. Um, uh, they had to sort of uh, say goodbye to a few of their staff. Um, some issues. They did. Yes, yes, which is very sad. Um, I remember all the orange shirts running around the place at um, at the Smart Energy um, exhibition um, just a month or so ago. But um, so I hope none of them manage, uh, lose lost their job. But anyway, look, some supply issues, supply constraints. So they basically decided to sort of buckle down and um, refine their product, and presumably sort of refine their mechanisms and things like that. So um, yeah, um, it, it I think it's tough times out there. You know, every yeah, and and you know, five B are, are are on a rampant growth phase, uh, and and you know, very tough times for the. For the people who lost their jobs there, and it was a material number. Um, and and I think you know, as the as we're seeing in other industries, you know, there's still a lot of companies out there that are arguably in the classification of zombie companies. I'm not putting 5B in that category, but um, you know, uh, with the volatility and and the, and the cost. Uh, increases that we talked about in the last episode, actually, where uh, I, I chatted to a couple of companies, you know, and they were talking about these cost increases. It's tough out there. It's volatile. Um, and, um, you know, moving fast is really, really crucial um, to, to make sure that you can remain solvent. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. And look, another one, um, Bright, um, which has sort of been inv in, involved in um, financing sort of solar installations and things like that. They've also sort of cut back staff as well um, by about 15%. I think laid off 30 staff as um, they're sort of oh, wow. people like Mike Cannon-Brooks and Scott Farquhar and things like that. So um, um, it's kind of a bit of a mixed bag out there. So um, 
Mm. Yeah, not too, not too mm. sure. They've also moved into EV financing, but um, look, that could actually be a bit of a bit of a prompt to go into um, our EV section of this uh, of this podcast. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I've got a, I've got some good news. I was kind of really my day started off really well because I found an article about Tesla superchargers, uh, and as we know, they've been opened up to non-Teslas to use their uh, their supercharger infrastructure and their networks of EV chargers uh, in a couple of countries, the Netherlands in particular, and one or two others, which were early um, entrants into that. And they announced, uh, or I saw an announcement today that uh, thirteen more. 13 countries in total now are included in that list. The France, the Netherlands, Norway, UK, Swain, Spain, Sweden, Belgium, Austria, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Luxembourg, Switzerland are all now able to use uh, uh, non-Tesla vehicles on the Tesla supercharged network, which is fantastic news. I uh, We've said it before. I'll say it again. Please, 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 Tesla, open up in Australia. Um, I know we're small in the grand scheme of things, but we're desperately in need of that need of that charging infrastructure. And you guys have done such a wonderful job. Please open up in Australia. Um, I've got news for you, Nigel. I think it's going to open up before the end of the year. Oh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it because if I turn up and find that you're sort of charging up with your motorbike in front of me and I've got to wait for you to charge that damn zero up to full, then um, um, it's going to be um, it's going to be a problem. Look, it's going to be interesting actually um, because the, look, I mean, charging infrastructure is clearly an issue. Um, for EV drivers, and particularly if you don't have a Tesla, because Tesla's the only one that's actually gone in and got a network in there which is reasonably reliable. There's chargers around the place, but most of them at stations with maybe one or possibly two actual charging uh, slots, and there are so many breakdowns. Um, but look, it's not just an issue in Australia. Uh, there was just a US study that we actually wrote about this week, found that one quarter of one yeah. quarter of charges or something like that just you know broken. Look, I don't know what this. I don't know what this means. I don't know whether they're, they're sort of you know these fast chargers manufacturers are just crap or they just haven't got enough staff to do the maintenance properly or there's supply oh. issues because they can't get the parts and things like that. So um, I can I can tell you why some of them are breaking down. Why is that now? Because uh, one of my friends on the Electric Motorcycle Forum that I follow uh, highlighted that a large number of the charges in the US are relying on, a, 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 in the US, what is a relatively antiquated 3G network for their communications. And if the charger can't communicate effectively, if it loses 3G signal, uh, the site shuts down because it needs communication to do stuff. And uh, one of the major issues there was, uh, was in the, um, the, the, the net type of network that they were using. So the major problem was not actually the charger. It was actually the communications network that they were using to monitor the charger and make sure that everything was okay and do all the reporting and billing and everything else that's required. So, you know, there can be all sorts of reasons for it, but at least one of the networks in the US particularly, which my... Uh, Harley Davidson Livewire uh, friends were reporting on was that it was not actually about the charges; it was about the communications challenges. Who the, who the hell? Who the, sorry, sorry, Nigel, but who the hell connects and builds a EV charging network and and puts that on um, um, three three uh, G um, three G? Sorry, sorry <laughs> mental. Well, <laughs> you know, it's one of those. This is this is a really interesting thing, and I was thinking about this the other day in another context that you know. 
when you think about the development cycle and how long it takes to develop products, right? When they were developing that product that they were deploying one or two years ago, they were developing that three, four, five years ago, right? When, you know, you maybe thought that 3G was going to be around longer than it was. And, you know, we've got an issue here, a challenge here with 3G, the 3G network theoretically going down. But you know what? It took 16 years to fully shut down 2G in Australia. Mm. So, you know, you've, there, there's, there's, some, there's some gray area in how long these networks uh, take to, you know, stay alive, we'll stay alive or we'll shut down. So, you know, it looks like some of them got caught in there and, you know, there was a technology issue in there. So, you know, mm, so it's, uh, when, when, you, when you're in such a fast-moving industry as, uh, as we are, whether it's solar or EVs, you know, these are the kind of challenges that we've got to adapt to. Yeah. Okay. Well, mate, um, I had a bit of fun last week because I got to drive. I was one of the few people to get a uh, test drive of the Model Y. Um, Stop it. Really? Right now. Yeah, I had it for three days. I picked it up in Sydney. I was really? Go, yes, picked up in Sydney, went down to Canberra, showed my mum. She's 93. She thought they were a pretty good car. Um, hung around for a few it's days. It's a really good car, but it's got ugly wheels is what I read. Well, yeah, look, it's all it, – it, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean, look, the wheels didn't bother me, actually. But, um, look, um, it was actually really interesting. Look, it's kind of like sitting um, – look, it's kind of like driving a Model 3 but sitting in a high chair, basically. It's – um. You know, right. you're much you're much higher up you've got like a higher clearance um it's you know you step up into the car rather than step down um it's got a lot more space inside it's a bit more sluggish than the model 3 i've got to say it doesn't quite have that sort of same sort of zippy takeoff that um well that's like over that. six seconds to a hundred that's yeah, just six point nine seconds i mean man can grow old you're waiting for that to get to a hundred you know sort of that's almost <laughs> lame <laughs> Wow. Um, so yeah. it's it's a budget car, right? It's a budget car. Well, I don't think it's a budget car. I don't think it's a budget car, mate. It's up for seventy thousand dollars. And um um if oh, you didn't really? get in didn't get your order in first um in the first week, um you're paying an extra three or four thousand dollars because the prices went up pretty damn quickly. But um Look, uh, right. we reckon that they got at least 20,000 orders in and possibly up to 20,000. We're not really too sure. A um, bit of confusion over some of the numbering of the orders, but just quite astonishing. And it does make you think. I mean, there's some really other nice EVs, uh, SUVs out there, like the Ionic 5 and the EV6, both of which, you know, sort of car of the year winners. And you think, guys... Did Kia and Hyundai actually miss something there? Because they had similar expressions of interest. Hyundai apparently had 15,000, 16,000 people expressing an interest and registering an interest in the car. Uh, Kia reckons they could have sold 10 times more than the 500 that they've actually been managed to sold. And then Tesla, after a year or two delay, come in and then just go, okay, take 12, 15,000 orders. We don't really know how much. And it'll all be delivered in the next nine months. And you think... The other car makers, were you really serious about this? I mean, haven't you just missed an opportunity? Because, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, a lot of those orders would have been cancelled and people just gone over to the Tesla. It is a good fascinating news. time, isn't it? Yeah. But look, the good news is, is that it's um, it, uh, it's back seats lie down flat and I get to lie down. I see all six foot two of me. So um, I could take it camping. No. I could take it camping. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bigger, taller car. It's a bigger, taller car. Look, I think it's slightly longer. It's, um, it's, um, yeah, look, it just feels a bit sort of heavier, a bit bulkier, but it still sort of dries really well. I mean, I had, had good fun. Um, I mean, you really only sort of get to sort of enjoy it, 
um, you know, in windy roads and hilly roads and things like that, sit in the freeway, it's kind of like any other car, except it does have really good um, assisted um um let's speak oh god what's that called um, <laughs> um regen? no 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 not the regen the assisted speed control um god what's that oh the driver assist stuff no not the, well yes we've got autopilot so we'll actually just steer down the road down a highway um nice no what's the thing we just sit in the spit on the same limit i can't <laughs> cruise control assisted cruise control, cruise control. Oh, wake up unbelievable um i'm sitting here drinking a non-alcoholic beer but i can't even remember the name for assisted cruise control but um uh, <laughs> so it's easy it's, it's a, just a very pleasant drive because you're just going going down the freeway and it's very quiet look in the cities it's fine if you want to put it on the um once again this sort of um that cruise control it'll just follow the car in front of you um once again perfectly quiet and a bit of fun in the hills and stuff like that if you haven't driven an ev before you probably won't notice the lack of speed because it'll be still be quicker than anything else that you've ever driven um at least yeah. in acceleration so it's going to be i suspect the new best-selling car in australia and will overtake the model three because you know people do like a bigger higher suv type car than sedans apparently they've gone out of fashion but um I'm still quite fond of my little black beauty, the little Model Three. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I've just having just done a, I've just done a trip up to the north coast. I had a few days of leave and did 800 k's north and 800 k's south and a bit of running running around and sitting on the freeway and I'm and the the, the freeway from Sydney to Tweed Heads now is complete. If you haven't done it, it's just shaved three hours off the trip. It's 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 a sublime trip now. When was the last time you drove up? <laughs> well, I've, a few months, quite a long time ago, actually, quite a long time ago. But every time I went up previously, there were still, you know, they were still completing it. But uh, in our um, 22-year-old uh, Volkswagen diesel camper van, I sat there droning along the freeway at 110 thinking, I wish I had an electric vehicle. Uh, it cost me, cost me the better part of 250 bucks each way, even in my quite economical, um, uh, Volkswagen diesel. Um, but it was 250 bucks each way. And, um, on, on that sinewy, smooth, dual carriageway that runs the whole way now is just made for an EV. I, it just kept striking me, and I just kept going, man, I'd just have the cruise control on. I would just be sitting back in complete silence and just motoring along, and, you know, I'd need one stop uh, for a top-up uh, in, in, in you know, Model Y or a Model 3, and off you go again. And, um, yeah, I need that in my 22-year-old diesel. Absolutely. But, uh, I bet it didn't cost you 250 bucks to do that trip. Um, no, look, well, we've done that trip from Byron down to Sydney and um, Canberra and back again in our Model 3 oh, at least half a dozen times now. And um, it doesn't actually cost us a cent because um, I've still got some free kilometres from the charging, um, which you used to get in those days. So um, that's pretty good. And look, it doesn't take very long to charge. It's sort of three 20-minute stops. Um, we extend one of those stops because it just happens to be at a winery with, with a really good restaurant. So we... <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Stay, stay a bit longer Lovely. there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and because, um, I mean, look, you know, some of those charging things are starting to fill up now. You might see sort of four, five, or six. I haven't had to wait yet at a Tesla charging station, but um, if they do open up to all comers, then um, might have to get used to it. Yeah. Well, luckily, Harley Livewires don't take long to charge, John. 
I'll just follow you down the freeway. We'll be right. <laughs> Mate, um, I think that might be a bit of a wrap for the day, unless you've got anything else to announce. I've got nothing else. Uh, I did do... You've given it, you've uh, given it your all. I've, give, I've given it your all, except I would point people, if they haven't had their minds blown around electric motorcycles this week, go and have a look at the blog that I wrote about the Stark Varg. What is a Stark? Uh, who is Stark and what is a Varg? Uh, really, really, really game-changing electric motorcycle tech that's come out. Incredible engineering. Uh, go and have a look at the story about the Stark Varg if you if you didn't see it. That was the most exciting thing in electric motorcycling that I saw in the last couple of weeks. Good stuff. Okay, well, we look forward to hearing your next edition of the Great Solar Business um, next week. Um, look out, of course, for Energy Insiders this week and a new um, edition of the Driven Podcast. And uh, thanks once again to all our sponsors, Clean Energy, uh, Solar Analytics, and Sunwiz. Thanks to you, Nigel. Thanks to everybody out there. Hope everyone is enjoying themselves and not working for companies which have had to sort of lay people off, but enjoying a new round of the solar coaster. And we'll be back again in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, Sunwiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer Solar Analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.